Second Chronicles chapter 7, please. We're just going to lift one verse. Everyone will know it as soon as we turn to read it. <clears throat> but it's the answer for our nation today. It's the answer for our land today. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let's read it one more time. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, will heal their land. Let's pray. Father, would you take your word again? And Lord, would you cause a stirring to be in the hearts of every man and woman? Father, we thank you for all that you've brought in here to fill this house again tonight. Lord, we ask you, Lord, that you would bless each family represented by each person that you would encourage them for being here and for those that even watch live and listen. Later we pray for a blessing to be on them and with them also. We ask you, Lord, now you would take this man with clay lips and all his frailties and inabilities, Lord, that you would use them for your honor and for your glory. And that, oh God, that there would be a, a sound that would go out from this platform and this pulpit tonight. Lord, that would resound, Lord, not only here but with other people, Lord, to stir up the hearts of your people. Call upon the name of the Lord. And, O oh God, that you would rescue our nation once again. Lord, we thank you for your presence. And we thank you that you're here with us. And without you, we can do nothing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I will heal their land, the Lord says. Second Chronicles chapter 7. In verse 14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, there is a criteria. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. I think just at this time when Two days ago on the 29th of March we were to leave the European Union, the United Kingdom, was to leave together. And of course the treachery that went on in Westminster, treachery isn't strong enough a word for it, for the 17.4 million plus people who had a one-time vote as we were told in our lifetime to leave this beast system of Europe, which the Bible plainly and clearly tells us, Wherefore, come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, that which we had been brought into just over 40 years ago, without us even wanting or willing to be in it. Now, being released from it has been held back from the people. People say, Oh, you shouldn't bring that politic into the church and into the preaching. Listen, Everything that you see that's going on in the world today has a spirit behind it. Every single part of it, the European Union and the things that are holding back the United Kingdom, every single one of them 
are being led, whether wittingly or unwittingly, are being led by another spirit that is not the spirit of the Lord. Unfortunately, we have men like Tony Blair. I hear the gasps already. Tony Blair, the Middle East, and you're right too, by the way, that's okay. The Middle East peace envoy. What a joke. What a joke. A man who sent our troops into Iraq on a false ticket and who seen thousands of Iraqi people destroyed, homes, their lives, murdered, killed, maimed. Our own troops slain in the streets, Afghanistan and other places. A man who has uh, now been made this Middle East peace envoy opened his mouth and it was recorded and said on Premier Christian Radio on Thursday the 21st of the 3rd, that's this month, listen to what he says about Brexit and the United Kingdom. I find this ridiculous that this man would even dare to come out with a statement like this. A man who said he was a man of faith, yet turned Romanist as soon as he could, uh, get, uh, so he's, uh, as he finished prime, being Prime Minister. Listen to what he said. Praying to God to solve Brexit crisis isn't sensible. I'm going to say it again. Praying to God to solve the Brexit crisis isn't sensible. I don't know what God's view of Brexit is. And I don't think it's sens- a sensible inquiry to have. Mr. Blair said that. I'm not uh, talking out of school. It was in public platform and forum. Now this man who has ruined our nation with his own Labour Party, socialist, full of Marxists. This man who has met behind the scenes with all sorts of terrorists, even from Ulster, and Irish terrorists, right through to others like the PLO and Yasser Arafat, and all of those men, has a cheek now to say that he does not realise or know what God's decision would be in such a decision as Brexit. I know people are going to be angry at me for saying that. This man has no idea because if this man had an idea, he still wouldn't have started the war, especially on the Lord's day. On the Lord's day. He said, praying to God to solve the Brexit crisis isn't sensible. I don't know what God's view of Brexit is, and I don't think it is a sensible inquiry to have. Mr. Blair is one of those men who are from the elitist one-worlders who want us all to be under the ecumenical systems of a one-world religion, a one-world government, a one-world monetary system, for he himself tried to bring the British pound into the euro. We were told that Britain would collapse if it didn't. And Britain stood firm, and Britain stood fast, and now they're trying to bring their scaremongering tactics again, that if Britain came out from the European Union, that we would, as it were, sink into the Atlantic Ocean, or be cut adrift on our own to die. Brothers and sisters, I beg to differ, because I believe in the Word of God for those who will come out. I believe on the Word of God. Mr. Blair, you don't know what God wants? Listen to Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 11. The Lord says, ask of me things to come concerning my sons, concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. This isn't that we command God, the sovereign Lord. The idea of this is the Lord is saying, you ask me concerning the things to do with you and the work of my hands. In other words, you bring the word of God to me. 
Bring my own word to me and say, Lord, your word says, I'm living according to your word. We're believing in your word as a nation, as a people, as a believer. We're believing your word is true, so Lord, we'll leave it with you. That's what it means. And Mr. Blair and others like Theresa May, or Treason May as I like to call her, she needs to realize, even though her father is a Church of England vicar, you'd think that she would know better in the word of God. Notice this. It's, he says, ask of me. I wonder how many times she asked, but then how many times they read the word of God to see what he says about the European Union. Listen to Psalm 22 and verse 8, pardon me. Ask of me. He says it again. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thy inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. If we were to take our nation back to where our biblical foundations and roots and heritage was, God would bless our people once again. We're not waiting on someone like uh, the, the European Union to say they're going to bless us. We're not waiting on Mr. Trump, even over in the United States, to make commercial deals with us, nor anyone else. We need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of salvation, the blood of the Lamb, and we need to put the Ten Commandments back in all the schools and colleges again. This is how God will heal our land. And through nothing else but him alone. Notice, Mr. Blair doesn't know. I'm going to have to stop using his name now. But Mr. Blair doesn't know. Infuriated me whenever I read that comment. I was furious. Notice Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6 says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And listen, you can acknowledge him in your own way, and he'll direct your paths. We acknowledge him as a, a church assembly here in Guilford and CET, and we, he directs our paths. And I, direct, I ask him in all my ways of my life, Lord, direct my paths. And I make mistakes, and I maybe get it wrong at times, but nevertheless, he covers my mistakes, and he continues me on on the right road. Now, if we had someone in Westminster, if we had Her Majesty the Queen, if we had someone like the Archbishop of Canterbury who would take his stand for the reformed truth and faith of the word of God and was to come to the Lord and ask him in all the ways of our nation, he should be able to tell the, the Prime Minister which way to go rather than say he's not sure himself, rather than say he doesn't know himself. I understand this is not against European people. I always make that plain and clear. This is the, the very system that they are enslaved under. Notice Boris Johnson. Now, Boris Johnson is a character in himself, isn't he? And sometimes when we think of Boris Johnson, you know, we think of him a bit of a bumbling fool at times. But listen, he comes out with some crackers, as we would say. He comes out with some beezers, we used to say. Some real gems. Listen to what he said. It is time for the Prime Minister to channel the spirit of Moses in Exodus. And to say to Pharaoh in Brussels, let my people go. <laughs> That's what he said. I'm going to read it again. Boris Johnson, it is time for the Prime Minister to channel the spirit of Moses in Exodus and say to Pharaoh in Brussels, let my people go. Even Boris Johnson realizes this. A man, I don't know what he knows of God or what he doesn't know of God. But he realizes there's something about our nation that God has had his hand on and that we don't need men in the top enchilanches of a European Union to dictate to us and tell us our rules and our regulations and to keep us in slavery and bondage and to scrap, as it were, the word of God in everywhere that we go. 
We don't need that. We need to turn on to the Lord. And the Lord says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, will heal their land. Our nation has committed great and horrendous sins before the Lord. Our nation has created, uh, committed, pardon me, some terrible sins before Almighty God. They have allowed uh, abortion on demand. They have legislated for it. We're now, it's getting to the point that's already passed in the United States. Watch this space. They'll try and push it here. Where a baby being born at nine months old, they take out the body first and cut the head off in the womb. The little baby, to kill it, to crush the head, to take it out. And that's what's being passed in some of the states in the United States of America. Friend, what wickedness. What dastardly deeds could our nation or man ever sink to any lower than to do that, the holocaust of little children in the womb? Notice the hatred of the gospel, the arrest of the preachers, the political correct brigade, as I call them, are on every watch and every corner. The heathen has raised up high above us and we are being brought down very low. And you know why? Because we've turned away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we've turned away from the gospel. Isaiah 9 and verse 16 says these words. For the leaders of this people cause them to err. And they that are led of them are destroyed. I'm going to read it again. Isaiah 9 and verse 16. For the leaders of this people cause them to err. And they that are led of them are destroyed. Now they're trying to bring in Theresa May's number four. <laughs> Bring her, her, her plan through number four. <laughs> How many times, Theresa May, do you need it before you get the idea that we're saying no to it? That there's not, we don't, we will not stand in Ulster while there is a border put up the REC. We will not stand for it while you try to siphon us off to United Ireland and the European Union. Irish nationalists need to listen to this too because they're crying and fought hard, as it were, even though some of their deeds were dastardly for an Irish nationalism. Sure, they're lost at the European Union as well. They've lost it also. This one worldism is bringing them all together to hold us in a grip that they feel that they can tell us what to do. They can take the Bible out of our society and take the Word of God out of the out of the church pulpits next. In fact, that's not being hard in some churches the way they're carrying on at the minute as well. To take the Word of God out of it. For these leaders, for the leaders of this people, cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Now, I, a brother gave me these. I've already given hundreds and hundreds of these out, and they've went out from here and people ask me for more so there's that scripture there on the front and then if my people which are called by my name on the back of it there's another pile of them back there take them when you go out give them to someone and say you need to pray for the nation you need to turn back to the Lord you need to look at this you need to read the word of God you need to preach it from your pulpit you need to have it spoken in the street corners brothers and sisters it's time church that we stood up Come on, brothers and sisters, it's time that we voiced our opinion, be not mealy-mouthed and unafraid to speak the word of the Lord. Notice this. What does it take? And what would it take for a man or for a woman, for a church assembly, for a leader, a king or a queen or a nation, 
a government to humble themselves and pray. The word humble means to be subdued, to be brought under, to be in subjection, to be brought down lower. What is it going to take for some people, even maybe here, an individual heart, you're full of pride. I don't need God. I don't believe in God. I don't want God. And all the pride that you see, you hear it on the radio stations. You'll see it on the televisions. Everywhere you go and everything you do, God is hated. We need to pray for our youth. We need to pray for our children. We need to pray for our young ones. We need to teach them the word of God. We need to be faithful to the meetings. We need to be strong in our stance. And we need to be letting people know that Christ is coming soon and they've got to be ready. Notice, brothers and sisters, they need to humble themselves. We are waiting, as it were, for some sort of champion. Like, and even Theresa May says, just a woman. Just a woman. But Psalm 118 and verse 8 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. How many politicians have let us down? How many politicians have let us down in Ulster? I'll just leave that sitting there for a minute. How many politicians have let us down in Ulster? How many have let us down in Westminster now? How many have promised and promised and promised and stood up with great swelling speeches and then left us high and dry whenever they, whenever they were offered money or other prep, uh, things to solve their problems? And the people have been left high and dry. Listen, God tells us that the nation needs to turn to him. For God will bring judgment onto Great Britain. Who would have thought that this little province of Ulster, who would have thought that this little country of ours of Northern Ireland, who would have thought that we would have been the last bastion of the gospel, yet it seems it's just this little place is the place that's holding the power of all of Great Britain against Europe. Who would have thought that? And the thing they want to do is tear our faith down. They want to take it all from us. And it means when they tear us down, they'll tear the nation down. And the people will fall with it. James chapter 4 and verse 6. And 1 Peter 5 and verse 5 also says, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. The word resisteth here is the word antitasso. It means to oppose, to arrange oneself against. God opposes the proud. See all those in government who have no thought of God. See like of the Mr. Blair who says, we don't know about God. We don't need to petition God. We don't need to pray about this. We're doing as we want to do. See all those men in the European Union and with their, their, their pompous and their arrogance and they're holding the people like slaves. They're throwing in the face and flying in the face of God. And one of these days, God is going to come. According to the word of God, I'll show you it in a minute in the Lord's will. And he's going to smash Babylon. He's going to tear it down. For this system is Babylon. God opposes or he arranges himself against the proud and he giveth grace to the humble. Brothers and sisters, if we humble ourselves before him, he will give grace. It means to give something out of oneself or to give of oneself God will give of himself 
in our plea and in our plight, if we seek his face and pray and turn from our wicked ways, he will give of himself. And that's all we need as a people. That's all we need as a church. That's all we need as individuals. And that's all we need this present moment in time. Lord, we need more of you. That's all we need. That's all we need. And I notice this. Peter tells us, humble yourselves in 1 Peter 5 and 6, therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And they may say, well, why should I humble myself? Why should I? Well, listen to this. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostle says, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. See if Christ could come from glory and take the form of a man and humble himself unto death, even the death of the cross for men and women who wanted nothing to do with him like you and like me and like all others. Then surely you and I and our nation can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. He's a great example to us. So what does it take? What will it take to humble the heart of man? Will it take a health scare? Go individually now at the moment. Will it take a health scare to humble you? A sickness? What about a court appearance? I've done some of those before, you know. Those, oh, I don't believe in God, but as soon as the court appearance was coming up, I want to get saved. And would you come to court with me? A death to waken you up? A massive debt you can't cope with? A close shave with the grave? An accident? What does it take or what will it take for a man to be humbled in the sight of the Lord? In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 5 it says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Notice, we see the abomination of the proud. And I see it all the time when we turn on our news and we look to see what's happening over in Westminster. Whenever we look and see some of those people who are in our own government, who won't even go into Westminster, and yet they're in prison before, now they won't even, won't even bless a seat of Westminster with their presence. I see the abomination of the proud heart, without humility throughout our land. The chief priests and the Pharisees of modern religion, along with Herods of the leftists, humanists, secularists, along with the hand of holding of socialists, Marxists, communists, and the Greens, the political correct lobbyists, and the LGBTs, and so on, and so on, and so on, holding hands together to bring it into an alliance, because that is what they want to do to squash and quench the gospel. And brothers and sisters, you know I'm telling you the truth. You're hearing it all over the place. You're hearing it now and it's like a flood coming in upon our land and upon our people. And the Lord says, if we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, then he will hear from heaven. And he will forgive our sins and heal our land. Notice this. They're all backed up by soft, spineless, weak, toothless government of Pontius Pilate's and Judas Iscariot's. They've just got together en masse and they want to destroy Jesus and his word. Hand in hand to crucify him afresh as it were. So that the same spirit has tried throughout the years and still the same today to do it over 
and over and over again. Get rid of this Christ. Get rid of this Christ from the home. If you get rid of him from the home and from the church, then it's easy to take him out of everywhere else. But you know what? Christ lives in the heart. And notice he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. You see, we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We love him. And he's residing and living in our hearts. Isaiah 45 and verse 9 says, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Am I speaking to someone tonight and you're striving with your maker? Am I speaking to someone tonight and you're striving with your maker? You've been striving for so long and you won't yield yourself. You have a proud heart. You won't give yourself and bend the knee, prostrate the spirit unto God. Speaking to someone tonight and you're striving against the things of God with that proud, abominable heart, God says, and I will oppose you. And yet the Lord loves you enough to give you his son to die for you. Speaking to someone tonight that you'll yield your heart tonight and come to Christ, that you might be saved. Listen, here's a little tidbit for uh, our government. Proverbs 14 and verse 39. Righteousness exalteth a nation. You want Britain to do well, Parliament, government. You want Britain to do well. Well then, if you start turning back to the Lord and walking in the ways of his word and taking the commandments and placing them back into schools and into colleges and proclaiming that we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that we are in love with him through our Lord Jesus Christ and that he is our God and he is our saviors, our forefathers have done, then righteousness will exalt our nation. Talk about make America great again. You wouldn't be able to stop Britain from being great again if it turned on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sinners approach to any people. Listen to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. Turn you at my reproof, and I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you, because I have called, notice, and ye refused. Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. The Lord says, if you turn to me, I'll pour out my spirit on you. Oh, Lord, we're turning to you tonight. CET and the people in here, we want you tonight, Lord. We're turning our hearts and our minds and our souls and all we have onto you and your word. Look, I want the Holy Spirit of God to always be in CET as he resides in all of our hearts we gather together. But what about our nation? He says, I've held my hand out. The gospel has been preached. And now even the churches don't preach the word anymore. I don't mean all of them, but there are many of them. Don't preach the word anymore. Won't mention the blood of the Lamb. Won't preach the book. And rather the drawer tell you lovely fluffy stories that make you feel good, tickle the ears, pat you on the back. Rather than offend someone with the word. You refused and stretched out my hand and no man regarded. What do you mean you stretched out your hand, Lord? Well, the arm of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. And how did he stretch out his hand? He came. And he was made flesh in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm stretching out to you. Sir, he's stretching out to you tonight. Lady, he's stretching out to you tonight. I've stretched out to you, Israel. I've stretched out to you, Great Britain. I've stretched out to you, Ulster. Ireland. I've stretched out to all of you. My hand has been stretched out. Hi. 
by the person of my son. He went and bled and died for you in Calvary's tree and you've refused him. Why Ulster and not all of Ireland? Well, we know that there's been revivals. We'll maybe just mention some of them in a moment. But here's the thing, because Ireland was under the grip of Rome. The Republic of Ireland, the people there, not trying to be hard, but it was under the grip of Rome. And God wouldn't bless that. You know what he blessed? The preaching of his word. The preaching of the blood and the book. And he sent forth his spirit into our little province of Ulster. Notice what the Lord says in Hosea 5 and 15. I will go and return, the Lord says, to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Now listen, Hosea, the prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, said that, let us read that over Great Britain tonight. The United Kingdom. The Lord says, you don't want me? I'll hold back my presence. Do you know when you'll call on me? When things get really bad. When things get worse. You know what the first thing people say is? Where's God in all of this? When the Twin Towers fell down, you know what the first thing people were asking? Where's God in all of this? Well, you put God out of the schools and out of the colleges and out of the universities. You put God out of all the places where he was, uh, where he was held in reverence. You put him out of government and you're asking where he is. You don't want him. He says, I'll just stand back until it gets worse, then you'll acknowledge me. Friend, what will it take for your life till your life gets worse before you acknowledge him? The Lord says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. You know, and the Lord has done this numerous times throughout biblical Israel's history and through ours. When men like Hezekiah and Josiah in Jerusalem, the kings of Judah, put God at center place again and took away the idolatrous worship, you know what happened? God blessed them all over again. The Spirit of God came and blessed them again. It's happened through our history. I've done it before on numerous occasions. I can't do it tonight. But it's happened in, uh, uh, at the, the Spanish Armada come and they, Queen Elizabeth I put God first and they lit the beacons all around England to let them know this Armada was coming and the small ships went out and God blew with his winds and scattered the Armada. And they struck up gold medals and coins. Speaking of it, a house planted on a rock is one of them. Speaking in Hebrew around another, they and the Dutch, little Dutch Republic at the time. They, 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 the Britain and the England it was and the little Dutch Republic grew, drew up these, these medals and, and these coins and one of it in Hebrew says he blew with his winds and they were scattered and the letters in Hebrew of Yahweh across it Yahweh Vahweh think of the time in the first world war the angel of Mons last year they struck up another coin to commemorate the angel of Mons when the king called the national day of prayer and the Lord sent angels in and it split the armies up, the German and the British armies up. It's all recorded, it's been all documented. Even the royal mint struck up that coin with a big angel on it just last year out for sale. 
Second World War. We'll look at that another time. But we think of the time when the troops were all on the beach of Normandy and the waves behind them and the, the, the Lord sent a storm between them and the Luftwaffe because the king had called for a national day of prayer. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. And the sea went like a duck pond. And they brought over the flotillas and brought all the troops home again. It was like an Israel Red Sea experience, only instead of splitting the sea, he calmed it. We could go on and we could go on. There are many instances that are like this. Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 28 says this. This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Is that not where we are today in Great Britain? It's not where we are. Let me read it again. Jeremiah 7 and 28. This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord, their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Isaiah 60 and verse 12. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Are we listening, Great Britain, United Kingdom? With your commonwealth, are you listening? For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. There was an old general, or pardon me, a colonel. Let me get a drink. An old colonel called Colonel Whitelsey. And in World War uh, I, four years throughout World War I, every man that he brought into his army, into his uh, battalions, Colonel Whitelsey gave them all a Bible. And every single day, every single day, they had uh, to recite Psalm 91. Every single day. Let's look at it for a moment. Time's flying on. I want to just, so much I want to show you. Psalm 91, please. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Notice here is that it's called, this is known as the call of the nation to prayer, to abide in his presence. Verse 15, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Then in verse 2, 3, and 4, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers under his wings. Shalt, under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Here uh, the psalmist or David is convincing Israel of God's providence if they trust in him. Verses 5 to 10. We can't go through it all. Cries out of divine protection. And verses 11 to 13 speaks of the charges of the angels of heaven. Like the angels of Mons. Verses 14 to 16 cares for the individual soul of the man and of the woman. Verse 16, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my 
salvation. Colonel Whitelsey, for four years, every day, had his men stand together, recite this. Listen, it's the only, uh, it's the only regiment, the only regiment that was under a colonel that never lost one man in the whole of four years. Never lost one man in the whole of the four years. So we can see here that we believe that the Lord and his word is living, is real, and is alive. I will heal their land, the Lord says. How are we going to get Great Britain, the United Kingdom healed? By turning to the Lord. By turning to the Lord. Let me just show you, just for briefly, about four royals and the word of God and what they thought of it. Queen Victoria, at the height of the empire, was asked by an Indian prince, what is the secret of England's greatness? And she hands him a Bible and she says, this is the secret of England's greatness. In 1953, when Queen Elizabeth II was crowned and coronated, she was presented with a Bible by the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now you have to understand when she's there with the royal jewels, all the crown jewels. It's estimated, people don't know the value of all the crown jewels together. But there's an estimation because there's stones from years going back from Edward I and so on. There's, there's stones of different sort of colors and variations and pearls and diamonds and jewels and all of this. And they estimate it. It's worth anything between three to five billion. Three to five billion. So there she sits with probably three to five billion on her head to the crown of, crown of her head to the soles of her feet. Sitting in the great cathedral and they come and they hand her, as it were, the scepter. And one of them has a great big diamond, the biggest diamond in the world. They had to cut it down. And even though they cut it down, it's worth 400 million. It's called the Star of Africa. 400 million in that one alone. She has it in her hands. She has the scepter as the queen, anointed as it were of, by the Archbishop of Canterbury, as it were under the mighty hand of God. And she sits with this scepter with 400 million here and three to five billion all over her. He takes it off her. And he takes it all away from her. And he hands her a Bible and this is what he says. We present you with this book. You ready? The most valuable thing this world affords. Here is wisdom, this is the royal law, and these are the lively oracles of God. That's what he says to her. Listen, brothers and sisters, that's worth more than all the crown jewels. That's worth more to the soul than all the crown jewels. That's worth more to the man and the woman, to the family, to the home, to the society. That's worth more than all the crown jewels. You're better living in a hovel with the word of God than in a palace without it. Than in a palace without it. Notice, Lord Northampton, handing a copy of the King James Bible to King George V in 1911. Listen to what he says. We pray that from these same holy scriptures, your majesty may derive comfort and counsel in the perplexing problems that devolve upon and placed in the providence of God in so exalted a position We pray also that your majesty's subjects may continue to read this book until its spirit and teaching are vitalized in personal character and in domestic relationships 
And so enter every sphere of corporate life, business, professional, and social, and political, and national, and imperial. And then they all shout, God save the king. All of those for the word of God given to the king. What if Her Majesty the Queen was just to say, I'm going to dissolve Parliament because of their treachery to the British people? Wouldn't it be fantastic? Put a lot of them out. Queen Elizabeth II, this is what she said about the Word of God. No, to what greater inspiration and counsel can we turn than the imperishable truth to be found in this treasure house of the Bible? King George VI, 15th of September, 1939. To all serving in my forces, by sea or land or in the air, and indeed to all my people engaged in the defense of the realm, I commend the reading of this book. For centuries, the Bible has been wholesome and strengthening influence in our national life. And it behoves us in these momentous days to turn with renewed faith to this divine source of comfort and inspiration. That's King George VI. I could go on and on. Even at the day of Dunkirk, he asked all to pray when 335,000 service members standing on the beaches. And this is what he said. Commit your cause to God. Brothers and sisters, as a people, as a church, is there any way that we could start praying individually together for our nation, for our people, for souls? Here's a... I'm rounding this, so I'm going to close this now, but here's a little quotation from a man called George Soros. He's the one who finances all these lobbyist groups against the word of God. This Edomite Jewish banker, banker, as it were, family elitist. You ready? 2015, George Soros, his actual name is Schwartz, Schwartz, but there he gets called Soros. In 2015, he says, the European Union are orchestrating Muslim invasion of Europe. He spoke of the plan, he says, for world government and the elimination of nations through invasion. George Soros said that. Brothers and sisters, we need the Lord to move again. We need the Lord to send forth and pour out of his spirit. We need the Lord to heal our land. For example, in London, John Wesley, John Whitfield, and others like them, during meetings, the crowd would fall to the ground, dropping. One person says they dropped as though thunderstruck was the word someone used. Enthusiastic singing, they said. Powerful preaching. Crowds gripped with conviction, repentance, and weeping. The crowd swelled to 50,000 a meeting. Meeting on the hillsides with untold thousands being saved. That's what we need in the United Kingdom at this present time. The Ulster Revival in 1859, 100,000 souls came to Christ in Little Ulster. They were falling on their knees. Started with four men praying. 
falling on their knees in the streets. They were bringing back stolen tools from the shipyards. They were getting themselves right with God and God poured out his spirit. The Welsh revival of 1904-1905, Evan Roberts spawned people like George and Stephen Jeffries. Pentecostal revival movement came out of it. There's an estimated 250,000 were born again of the spirit. 250,000. The apostolic church came springing out of it. The Welsh apostolic, Dan and Jones Williams. Many other preachers came from it. 30 other revivals were told spun off from the Welsh revival. The Hebrides with Duncan Campbell, 1949 to 1953. TV women praying. Duncan Campbell's about to speak at a meeting. I think it was in the Ulster Hall if my memory serves me right. He's getting ready to preach and he closes his, fo- his bag that he had with him, picks it up, and he walks out of the meeting. Mr. Campbell, where are you going? He says, the Lord has called me. And he goes and he gets on a boat and he goes to the Hebrides, the two wee women praying. And these elders caught hold of it and they started seeking the face of the Lord in repentance and in prayer. You know what happened? The doorpost even started to shake. God poured out of his spirit. And by that night, the church was packed and there was hundreds outside of it. People falling to the ground under the presence of the Lord, unable to stand in the presence of God. And it went on for four years. For four years. Here's the thing. <laughs> you ever heard of the Hurrit of Hurrit? Herdut, I think it's called in Germany. 300 Moravians humbled themselves in prayer. They all got a great hunger for Jesus and they started to call down the promises of the Lord that he would change the land. Here's what happened. They started one night in a prayer meeting, 300 of them. You know how long the prayer meeting lasted for? Non-stop, 100 years. 100 years. It didn't stop. Thousands were swept into the kingdom. 100 years. In fact, a man from Germany told me that just not so long ago and I went and I researched it and it's true. I haven't had time to show you about this kingdom. Read Daniel 2 when you go home you'll see Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and the man's head is of gold and his breast and arms of silver and his belly of bronze and his legs of uh, of brass and iron. And that's the, he says, thou art the head of gold, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, this head of gold is the Babylonian kingdom. This is where this springs from. The mindset of Babylon right through into the Medo-Persian kingdom and time came after that. Then to Alexander the Greatness kingdom came the belly of brass and then the legs of iron. Going through time. Legs of iron was a, the pagan Roman Empire, right down into the iron and the clay on the toes, and out of that sprung the papal empire. The European Union, the woman that rides the beast. And you go to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 17 talks about Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, the abominations of the whole earth. And then 18 talks about the fall of Babylon, the commercial fall, the spiritual fall. 
speaks about it in chapter 19. Revelation 19, here's what it speaks about. The Word of God, the Son of God, coming on a right charger, and round his leg is called the Word of God, and his name is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The coming of Christ. In Daniel chapter 2, there's a stone cut out without hands. It means it's a rock. It's not a brick that's been formed and built by man. Smashes the image on its feet and it all collapses. You know what that stone kingdom is? That kingdom started with Abraham and the Isaac, Jacob, the Israel. It was right around the world. And then it becomes a mountain and then it becomes full global kingdom when Christ returns. <coughs> Revelation chapter 19. Ken, where do you reckon we are at this point in time? Huh, I don't reckon, I know. We're just at the cusp of Revelation 18. Babylon the Great has fallen, has fallen. I want to see Israel marching. I want to hear the trumpet call. I want to see Zion's mountain. I want to hear, oh, I want to see great Babylon fall. I want to see Jesus reigning on King David's royal throne. Won't that be a glorious sight to see when Israel comes marching home? It's not wonderful, isn't it? 